You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi Tzvi Jacobson with NRM Streamcast, and we'll spend our time talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. You can always send your questions in the comments to our mailbag at letstalktorah.gmail.com, and of course, I will answer as many as I can. Or you could go to our webpage, Let's Talk Torah, no apostrophes, Let's Talk Torah.net. You, the, you have the archives there, the new shows are there. You can send in your questions, your comments, and of course, the all important donate button, which is what keeps us going. If you could hit that donate button and donate any amount, there's different levels over there that we suggest, but anything would be appreciated. Hit that donate button, help us keep up with our amazing work here, and it is always greatly appreciated. So this week's Torah portion is the last Torah portion in the book of Genesis. We call the book of Genesis the creation of the world. The book, the next book, the book of Exodus, will be the creation of the Jewish people. And as all the things happening, it's really all part of the creation of the world. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, right? This is what people are supposed to be. But there's no Jewish nation yet. There's some great people. But there's no nation we're going to have to go down to Egypt. We're in Egypt now already in this week's story portion. Jacob is going to pass away. That's the end of an era. But that was the patriarchs, the 12 tribes. But ne- next week, well, okay, in the book of Exodus, that's when we get ready for the birth of the Jewish nation. So it is a beautiful custom that whoever gets called up to the Torah to read the end of the Torah portion, when, he, when, the, when the person reading the Torah, the Valkyrie, finishes, he sort of ends with a different tune. I think it, it happened to know what it is. It's, it goes like this. It goes, Vayisem in Bimitzrayim, which literally means they, put him, they placed him in an ark, which is a, a coffin, it's a pretty interesting way of ending. And then the whole synagogue yells out, Chazak, Chazak, Venez Chazak. And then the person reading the Torah scroll, the Valkyrie, is also going to repeat that. It's not written in the Torah scroll. But Chazak, Chazak, Venez Chazak means you should be strong. Be strong, be strong, continue to be strong. And generally, you try to give that part to a Torah scholar. Because it's sort of like a blessing in in the in the um, from the synagogue or from the shul or from the base medrash to say keep on going, keep on learning, keep on studying, be strong. Why do we say it? I don't know. I wrote down a question over here, and I never really answered it. I've been thinking about it, not deeply. But it, it would seem that each book is on its own, right? We finished the creation of the world, right? This, that means you've completed 
a section of God's Torah. And we want everyone in that room to know that when it comes to studying Torah, you have to strengthen yourself. And you have to continuously strengthen yourself. And, and then, if you strengthen yourself, when you strengthen yourself, you're ready to go on to learn the next thing. And then the next thing. And the beauty is, it's in a cycle. Because every year you do it again. So there's five of these chazaks every year. Right? And we want you to keep going. You don't get to say, I did this already. You did it, you, of course you did it last year, and two years ago, and three years ago, depending on your age. And we continuously tell you you have to continuously strengthen yourself. No one gets to say, well, you know, I did it already. I know it already. I can find other things to do. No, no. You go over it. You go over it. You get it deeper. You get a better understanding. Perhaps that's what's going on with this chazak. So we're talking the last show. I didn't get a chance to finish it, but I'll, I'll skip over the first two. I'll just say them fast. We want to know, Jacob tells Joseph, you can't bury me in Egypt. Why is he calling Joseph? Because the Pharaoh is not letting Joseph's family out of the country. It's not happening. Jo- uh, Jacob brought great blessing to the country. Why he keeps the rest of the family? I don't know. It's an interesting question, but... He knows that Joseph wants his family there. If everybody leaves, Joseph's going to want to leave. He's going to lose his, uh, his uh, golden goose, the one who's made his country all-powerful, all-wealthy. So, so the Pharaoh is not letting Joseph and his brothers leave. The problem is Jacob wants to leave. He wants to be buried in Israel. Now, this in itself is going to be a difficulty because the Pharaoh could say no. My class asked me, but it says in last week's story portion that Joseph tells tells uh, his father, I am a father to the Pharaoh, I'm a ruler in all his house. Sounds like that uh, Joseph is in, in control. Now, it's true, Joseph is in control. But I told my class that sometimes, sometimes you have to remember that the person in charge could say no to you, even though you're very important. The trick is to make sure you only ask questions that you get a yes answer to. You have to know how to do that, right? Obviously, to ask for nothing is also a waste of time. But you have to know how to do it. So Joseph knows it's not going to be so easy. So Jacob is asking Joseph to swear to him that he's going to get him out. And this swearing is very important, but we're going to get there. But first, the question is, why does Jacob want out? So Rashi says three reasons. He doesn't want the bugs to crawl over him by the plague of bugs, lice, kinim. He doesn't want to roll through the tunnels to be brought back alive by Tchisam Esim at resurrection. That we talked about already in the last show. And the third thing was he was concerned he would become an idol. Why? Because the Egyptians would say, this great man came down and he ended the hunger and, and the, he, cre- he did miracles, the water overflowed and the, there was supposed to be a hunger for another five years. We'll pray to him. He didn't want to be an idol. Now it's interesting, because of this issue, so Joseph is very smart. I'm assuming all of you know what mummies are. Um, I, for my class, I told them it's like pickling. In other words... Cucumbers, right? So you have a farm, you go cucumbers, 
And in those days, right, you're putting away your cucumbers for the winter. They're only going to last a couple weeks. They're going to spoil. You don't have refrigerators. So what do you do? So you pickle them. And then people realize they like the taste of pickles. So now we make pickles as well, even though we can keep most of our produce fresh long enough and we can transport it uh, quickly enough. We can always have fresh cucumbers. But they used to pickle stuff. So I said the idea of embalming was they were going to pickle Jacob because that was the thing they did in Egypt. You, you did made, made a person into a mummy, you pickled his body, and I guess the body is supposed to last for who knows how long. Um, I'm not sure they've had success trying to unwrap some of those mummies, but, okay, that's not what we're discussing. So Joseph is going to have Jacob embalmed for 40 days, and then there'll be 30 days of national crying, and then Joseph will approach Pharaoh at the last minute and say, oh, my father asked me, he made me promise that I'm going to bury him in the land of Israel, and we'll, we'll talk about that. The problem is, there's different ways of embalming. I mean, I'm, I make it sound simple, but really you drain the blood, and right? you put in chemicals into the body. How could you do that? Right? We, we, said, we said before, Jacob doesn't want any of these bugs crawling on him because it's not, it's not appropriate. It's an embarrassment to the body. It's... It's a bazillion is the Hebrew word. So then how could, how could Joseph do this to Jacob's body? And the answer is, if he doesn't do it, then they're going to turn Jacob into an idol. I told my class a fascinating story this week. A story is probably 60 or 70 years ago, when in, probably in a Polish town, they were getting ready to create a highway. They were going to bulldoze through a cemetery. So they told the people by in the town, you can exhume, you can take out all the bodies or whatever left of them, the bones, and you can move it to another cemetery. Otherwise, we're plowing through. We, we don't really care. When they got to one of the bodies, they, the body was in perfect condition. And he was dressed like a priest which is pretty strange because we bury people in what we call tachrichim, these white, I don't want to say pajamas, but it's like a kittel. It's a, nothing special, linen, very, very simple linen clothes. Not priest clothing. It doesn't make sense. So they did some research. Like, who is this guy? His name was Aftali. So going back many, many years earlier, probably late 1800s. Um, if you were a charity collector, if you were a poor person or you needed help, you would go into a town and you would go to what was called the Gabbite Stucker, the person in charge of charity, and you would tell him your sob story. And if he trusted you, he'd say, okay, you just wait here. I'll go around the town. I'll be back in an hour or two and I'll give you the money you asked for. That was pretty common. What wasn't common is for this Gabbite sucker to go around the town more than once per day because people didn't like it and they didn't have the money for it. But sure enough, in Aftali's town, the same day another poor person came. Two people. Whoa. He goes around. He takes care. And then a third person comes. Now we have a problem. Aftali says, what, what, what can I do for you? He said, I've gone around twice. I can't go around three times. And this person is begging and pleading. So Naphtali says, look, I'm going to try, but no guarantee. So he figures, let me go to, uh, I'll go to the bar. There's a, a wealthy kid 
Um, doesn't work. Wealthy family. He could help me, you know, but, uh, you know, who knows what he's going to ask me to do, but okay. So he goes in, and sure enough, the the youngster says, Hey, Naftali, you were here twice already today. Three times in one day. Come on. Naftali says, what do you want? The poor guy. So Naftali says, you know, I got an idea. This is a sleepy old town. And and uh, we need to wake the town up. So I tell you what. I have a priest's set of clothing. I want you to wear it. And you're going to parade through the streets. And we're going to sing and dance and play after you. And I'll give you all the money you ask. You don't have to walk around. You're good to go. So Naftali said, it's embarrassing. How could I do it? But the guy needs the charity. Okay, I'll do it. So sure enough, for 20 minutes, he's walking through the street. He's red like a tomato. Right? I'm not taking anything away from the priest. If you're a priest, then you wear what a priest is supposed to wear. If you're an imam, you wear what, a pri- what an imam is supposed to wear. And if you're a rabbi, you dress like a rabbi. To dress in somebody else's religion with a bunch of people making fun behind you is not nice. Right? It, you're obviously embarrassing yourself. So you get the picture. Anyways, he comes home all embarrassed. The people yelled at him. People made fun of him. He takes and, and oh, and this kid said, you know, keep the clothes. It's uh, my present. And he gives the, the charity to the third collector. He didn't even know what he made enough until he go through. And, and he leaves in the closet and forgets about it. A few months later, a great rabbi, Chaim Sanjay, is passing through town. And he says, I smell the, the smell of the Garden of Eden, of Gan Eden, in this town. Where, where can it be? So he and his, uh, and his assistant are walking, and he says, it's coming from that house. Okay, they knock on the door. And the assistant says, uh, the rabbi, Chaim Sanza says he smells Ganadin here. So Naftali says, ain't no Ganadin around here. So he says, can we come in? He says, yeah. Comes in, he says, coming from the closet. Their houses weren't that big. And he says, can I open the closet? He opens the closet. He sees the, the priest's clothing, and he says, eh, tell me the story. So he tells him the story. So he said, the Chaim Sanza says that you leave instructions. When you die, you're to be buried in these clothes. And that will protect you. The, the damaging angels, when a person dies, it's tied up with a person. You, you get like a free ticket straight into heaven because you're wearing these clothes. Now, this guy did a great deed, don't get me wrong, but he's not on the level of the great Jacob. And if this guy's body stayed fresh, you can imagine Jacob's body's going to stay fresh. Well, if Jacob's body stays fresh, and the Egyptians, after 30 days of crying, and nothing smells from the body, and he wasn't embalmed, they'll never let Jacob out of the country, because obviously he's a very holy person, that his body's not decomposing. For sure it'll make him into an idol. So Joseph understood this much he had to do for his father or it wasn't going to work. In any case, so Jacob has multiple reasons why he wants to leave. So I saw a fourth reason, but I think it, it sort of encompasses all of them. And that is, Jacob was trying to show his children, we don't belong here. We want the land of Israel. In other words, 
I remember when my um, grandmother passed away, so my father told me he wanted her buried in a, upstate New York. Everybody lived um, near near um, New York City, but his father was a you know five-hour drive up north. I think five hours, four hours. And the other sibling said, no, she's going to be buried here. So I thought, I said, I don't understand that. Shouldn't she be buried next to her husband? So I was discussing with my father, and I said, she gave instructions. She wants people to visit her grave. And if she's buried upstate New York, how often is anybody going to go visit? That's why she wants it. Just leave it. Now, it's very normal when people are buried that they want family members to come visit. There's actually an interesting custom. If you ever go into a Jewish cemetery... You'll see there's stones on the tombstone. Just little pebbles, stones, racks, whatever, whatever's in the floor. And the reason, one of the reasons, is because it shows that people have come to visit. As a family, different family members will realize that people are coming to visit this person. So therefore, you put a stone on it, like a little remembrance that, you know, I was here. You don't have to write your name or anything. You just put the stone down. So even though, even though Jacob understands that his family would like that his, his, um, where he's buried should be near the family, the family could come and like talk to him and pray and stuff, but he wanted his family to understand we don't belong in Egypt, we belong in Israel, and that's why I'm leaving now. Now, it's interesting, I told you, he told Joseph, you have to swear. It's not good enough to say, you'll do whatever I tell you, but he actually had to go ahead and swear. Why was it important that Joseph should swear? Whether Jacob knew this or not, the problem was when he went to the Pharaoh and said, okay, remember, it's 40 days of embalming, 30 days of national crying, it's time to bury Jacob, and last minute, Joseph comes running to Pharaoh and says, Pharaoh, my father made me swear that I'm burying him in Israel. No time to think. No time to talk about it. Don't tell him two months ago, and even if he says yes, he has time to change his mind. That's like a good lesson, right? Sometimes you got to wait to the last minute to ask the question. Um, so, the, you know, the problem is very insulting to the country, right? In other words, the Pharaoh's been supporting Jacob's family. You don't want to be buried here? It's very insulting. But Joseph said he made me swear. So the Pharaoh wanted to say no. So Joseph said, yeah, but, I, but I, I promised. So Pharaoh says, eh, so you break your promise, what's the big deal? So Joseph said, uh, we haven't talked about this for a while, but when, when Joseph was meeting Pharaoh for the first time, so the rule is to be like a second in command to the king, you've got to speak multiple languages. Actually, in those days, all 70 languages. But Pharaoh couldn't speak Hebrew, or what we call Lashon HaKodesh. Couldn't speak the holy language. So that's embarrassing. So the Pharaoh tells Joseph, you have to promise me you won't tell anybody that I don't speak this language. So Joseph says, no problem. So Joseph now hinting to Pharaoh, if, I, if you want me to break this promise, then I can break your promise. Oh, no, no, Joseph, no, no, no. I never meant you should break a promise. Just uh, don't make promises anymore. So therefore, 
The Pharaoh really has no choice, and they will bury Jacob in the land of Israel, but he's the only one. In other words, after Jacob, that's it. Joseph and the brothers are all buried in Egypt, but they will tell their descendants, make sure when we finally leave Egypt, you take my bones with me. Now, as far as I know, that's only the leaders of the tribes. No one else had their bones taken out, to my knowledge. So immediately afterwards, um, Joseph gets a message that Jacob is sick, and he grabs his two kids, Menashe, the older one, and Ephraim, and he says, let's go get a blessing from Jacob. So the, he brings them, and he talks to his father, and his father tells him why he didn't bury his mother in the in the Marisamachpela, in the cave of Machpela, but she was buried on the side of the road, and that's because the time will come, the Jewish people go into exile, it'll be the prayers of Rachel that God will listen to. Okay. So Jacob, so Jacob is getting ready now to bless Joseph's two children, Menashe and Ephraim. Now, my son actually called me with his question last night, but the truth is, um, I've been telling this to my class for years already. All the other tribes, Ruvain, Shimon, Levi, Yehuda, everybody gets an individual, private blessing. But Ephraim and Menashe are being blessed together. Now, Joseph is going to have Menashe on, on Jacob's right, and he's going to have Ephraim, who's the younger one, on Jacob's left, and Joseph assumes his father will pick up the two hands and just go straight down. Instead, Jacob crosses his hands. So Jacob's right hand is on the head of Ephraim, and Jacob's left hand is on the head of Menashe, but he kept Menashe on his right, and Ephraim on his left. He didn't say switch places. So why are they blessed together? So my simple answer is that these were the first brothers that weren't fighting. Cain and Abel, Cain and Hevel, Jacob and Esau, Isaac and Yishmael, um, the brothers and Joseph, all the brothers are fighting. Throughout history, the brothers are fighting. We finally have two brothers that don't fight. Let's keep them together. Don't give them separate blessings. Even if you give them the exact same blessing. But let's keep them together because there's something to be said about brothers who hang together. So it's interesting. This is the third time that Jacob has played around with the firstborn. Think about it. Okay, he, he, he took the firstborn from Esau, right? He bought it, and he, and he got the blessing from his father. That's time number one. Time number two is he takes away the, the, the firstborn from his first son, from Ruvain, and he gives it to Joseph. He makes Joseph's two kids into tribes. And the third time is right here. So he did it once with himself, once with his children, and once with his grandchildren. Three times, Jacob is not impressed with the concept of being firstborn. So there's a Sefer called the Akedis Yitzchak. He explains like this. He says there was a country that had a custom that the wisest, most worthy, and valiant citizen became king. They didn't have a, um, a dynasty of kings. Every time a king died, they went ahead and they found the most worthy person to make him king. One time, 
they had a king, and he was just amazing. The people loved him, and he loved the people, and he took care, and he was wise, and this and that. And as a reward to this most amazing person, they said, we would like to let you create a dynasty. We're going to allow that your children will become kings. And it lasted one generation, two generations, but a few generations in, it was clear that the older son was incapable of being a king. He just couldn't do it. He just parted all day long. However, the younger son was perfect. So they did was, when the king died, they made a feast and they got the older brother drunk. And they convinced him, wouldn't you rather have a life full of enjoyment, full of doing whatever you want, let your younger brother be the king. We'll make sure you enjoy life. And he said, okay, no problem. And once they got the younger son to be king, they went back to the old law. And, and, and now we're, we're only allowing the best person to be king. So this is really what's happening. Right? God made Abraham the father of the nations. Right? And as he's now the king, he's going to create a new nation, the children of Israel. But his oldest son wasn't fit. The better son was Isaac. And Isaac has two sons. And the better son is Jacob. Right? So Jacob understood that there's no value in, in, in who your father was. It's all based on merit. And that's what Jacob is doing. And the music is playing. And I hope you enjoyed it short and sweet. Thank you, of course, all wonderful sponsors and listeners. I can't do it without you. Thank you to our wonderful production team. We have Alan in the back. I hope I've left you with some food for thought. Until next time. I am Rabbi Tzvi Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah on NRM Streamcast. Until next time, don't forget to think about it. A million dreams for the world we're gonna make. There's a house we can build. Every room inside is filled.